0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine. Uh, I've got a few topics I want to get into today, so let's just get right into it. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about, it's not really a huge pressing issue, but it is something that I've thought of a lot, and, and I think probably a lot of other Flames fans too. I think there's two numbers that the Flames should retire, along with uh, the numbers that are already retired. Like 12 is retired, 9 is retired, if I'm not mistaken, Vernon's number is retired as well, number 30. Uh, the other two numbers I think the Calgary Flames should retire is number 34 and number 14. 34, I think the case is a little easier to make. I mean, he's best goalie in franchise history. I mean, yeah, they technically didn't win a cup, but you know you can't really take away. Neither did Aginla. and I'm not saying that Kipper did as much as again for this organization but I think he is in that same category so I do think 34 which should be retired you know I can't imagine anyone else in Calgary even trying to wear Mika Kiprasov's jersey uh the other number I think the Flames should retire Mike Garner a little bit of controversy if anyone actually listened to this but I think the Flames should retire number 14 um you know poor life choices aside he was the Calgary Flames Point leader and goal leader of all time until Jerome McGinley passed him in two thousand nine. You know, there's definitely something to be said for that. He was pretty loyal to this franchise. You know, at one point he he took a lot less money than he probably could have got in the open market to stay in Calgary. I think that was in ninety four ninety five. He signed that contract. You know, he was the Calgary famous captain for a few years. I, I, I don't even really think it should be much of a debate to be honest with you. Like. I understand that you know maybe he made some poor life choices, uh, but I think he was also not in the most advantageous of situations. You know he had a really tough upbringing as, as most of you will know about Theo Fleury. If you don't know, um, he had a coach that turned out he had molested a lot of the players that played for him back in the day, and so that's gonna fuck someone up pretty good. And then you know you take someone that young. When he made it to the NHL, and you give them a lot of money, especially with that kind of upbringing, you know, there it's kind of a recipe for maybe not some great life choices. Uh, a lot of people like to discount that, I think, and and try and say, you know, like, oh, well, I I wouldn't I wouldn't make those choices. But the thing is, is you know, I don't know what I would do in that situation. And to be honest, unless you've been in that situation, neither does anyone else. Um, not saying that you know. decisions are justified in any way just that I don't think it discounts from a hockey career that was you know one of the better ones especially for the Calgary Flames you know arguably top five best player even maybe top three best players to play for Calgary all time so I really do think that number 14 should be retired and and I don't really agree with the arguments against it mainly that you know his poor life choices discount his whole hockey career, so we'll see what happens over the next few years. You know, I kind of figure if they haven't retired number fourteen by now, they probably never will. You know, I know there's a few online petitions out there to get them to do it. Um, the other thing is too is I don't really know how important it is to Flurry that the Flames retire his number. I don't know if he's ever spoken on it, but just me as a Calgary Flames fan. And, you know, someone that, you know, has had friends in the past that have struggled with addiction that I do think, you know, he should still have his number retired. You know, it's not like he's not human now because he made some mistakes in his life. All right. So uh, as you guys can probably tell from the first episode and how this episode has gone so far, I'm not very good at segueing yet. Uh, I'm still getting new at this, but uh, on to the next topic. What are the expectations for the Calgary Flames now that they have a legitimate head coach? Now, there's some people, you know, it seems like it's pretty split between whether Daryl Sutter is the solution or not. I think almost unanimously everyone agrees that it is an upgrade over Jeff Ward. It's just a matter of if that's the right guy to lead this team. You know, there's some people that seem to think Daryl Sutter is out of touch or he's out of the game. And I, I just don't really agree with that, to be honest with you. I mean... You know, he coached in Calgary until 2006, and then he became general manager. Now, he wasn't away from hockey, mind you, but he he wasn't coaching anymore. And then his first stint back coaching, he led the team to a Stanley Cup. And then two years later, did it again. You know, I think he is the type of coach that can adapt with the game. And even hearing him, you know, talk in the press conference, that definitely instills a lot of confidence that he wants to adjust to what today's game is like, you know, more fast-paced. You know, you you defend through possession, which when he was coaching the LA Kings, that was their biggest strength was they were you know a really good possession team. You know, I've I've heard some people say, uh, you know, like this isn't a Daryl Sutter type team. You know, it's not a tough enough team. But really, like I think I think it definitely has the potential to be. I mean, I think when you look at Kachuk and Backlund, Bennett, Lindholm, um, Giordano, Tanev. Like, those are Daryl Sutter-type players, and and really, like, I don't want to, you know, obviously he's he likes a certain physical game. You know, the Calgary Flames were a physical team when he coached them, and so were the LA Kings, but at the same time, it's like, that's what he was given. He didn't build those teams, right? That's, you know, he looked at that. That's what those teams' strengths were, and he built off that, and I think in 2019, we saw what this team's strengths were, and that, this is a really good scoring team. The nice thing about it is is this you know they have enough gritty guys that they it can be you know a scoring team that can hit hard they can fight they can you know they can get a little bit uh gritty when they need to, and so I do think that flames are gonna do better under daryl sutter um you know we saw a little glimpses of it on the weekend there uh, against Edmonton and Ottawa, even though the flames lost both games you know you you saw moments where you thought like this might be you know what it's like. Under Daryl Sutter, like when Lucic fought Nurse, and then Kachuk went up against James Neal, and have had that big hit. Um, You know, they weren't able to sustain it through all three periods, and ultimately that's why they lost both those games. And so tomorrow night, as I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Wednesday. uh, You know, that that's when we'll get our first real taste of what it's going to be like. Uh, They'll be playing Montreal tomorrow night, Thursday. And, you know, I'm really excited to see it. Uh, the players had a lot of good things to say after Sutter's first practice. Uh, he, you know, he had them doing pretty hard skating drills right off the bat. And so, you know, I think he is going to be ultimately good, especially for players like Sam Bennett that maybe need a little extra coaching and, you know, maybe need a little bit of a more fire lit under their ass. I think Daryl Sutter's really going to be good for that. But, but anyway, so I got a little sidetracked there. Uh, The expectations for the Calgary Flames. Now, the question is, is is it too late for them to make the playoffs at this point? Like, are they too far out? I think in a regular season, you know, a regular 82-game season where COVID isn't a thing, you know, you start looking at it, like, it's possible that they're going to have to go on a pretty deadly run, and they'll still have to be way better than they have been, but this year is a little different in terms of you're only playing teams within your division, which means... All these games are four point games, so if and there a lot of them are in series too, right? You have these two, three, four game stretches where you're playing each other back to back to back, and so that if, you know if you can string a few of those wins together, you can really climb the standings really quick. So I think they can make the playoffs this year. I'm not sure if they're going to or not. You know, I said it in the first episode that my hot take was that they would make the playoffs. Again, like I still, th- I'm still sticking with that as my hot take, but it's a hot take for a reason because if it's wrong it's not that surprising that being said for the next two years after this so Daryl Sutter signed for three years this is the window for the Calgary Flames right now you know they have an all-star goalie and then they have a capable backup too to keep him rested that was one of the big things with Kiprasov was that he was playing 70 games a year you know they have an elite uh, playmaking winner in Johnny Goudreau they have a two strong uh, scoring centermen in Lindholm and Monahan Lindholm can play it on the wing as well you know Backlund's a good two-way centerman Kachuk's an elite hockey player he's an elite power forward you know you don't the defense isn't that flashy but it's solid when you look at the lineup when Gio and Rass are on, get back on their game and if Tanev and Hannafin can sustain this level that'll be great you know Valamaki's been good this year you know their top nine isn't bad they, i think they could probably still use another top six forward but overall their top nine's not bad like this is the window you know, you've got Goudreau for two more years, Kachuk for two more years, Monaghan for three more years, Diordano for two more years. Um, you know, this is it. And Markstrom's in is maybe a little past his prime or right in his prime. You know, Goudreau and Kachuk and Monaghan are in their primes. This is the window. And you know, Daryl Sutter was talking about unfinished business, so really maybe not for this season. Like, I think for this season. The goal is to make it into the playoffs and, and we go from there. Uh, I don't really like saying that because that's kind of been Calgary Flames' attitude ever since 2004. But at this point, you know, just trying, we'll see if we can even get in. And then if we can get in, then we can make some more new goals towards that. But for the next two seasons, I think the goal ultimately is like you got to make a good run at it. You have to, you know, there, you're not going to have this much talent in Calgary for a few years right like again this is the window and if you gotta you know ship some guys out and bring some new guys in just to tweak it fine but you know this is I think the expectations ultimately like you have to finish next year you have to finish top two in the division you have to at least make the second or third round you know I think third round's a realistic goal for this team And then, yeah, it's got to be... I think those are reasonable expectations under a coach like Daryl Sutter. You know, he coached in L.A. from, I think it was 2011 to 2017, two Stanley Cups and a a conference championship. I'm not sure how many divisions they won, if they won any. Um, You know, coached in Calgary for only two years, 2004-2006, a trip to the Stanley Cup final and a division title. Daryl Sutter has a good track record. Um, And so that's why I say if they're... If they're going to win the Stanley Cup, within the next two to three years is the time to do it. So I think that has to be the expectations, even though they are pretty lofty. Okay, so now that we've talked about my favorite team for about 10 minutes, uh, we'll we'll switch gears here a little bit, and we're going to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. So they have four RFAs coming up this season. Uh, the big two, obviously, is Pedersen and Hughes, uh, but Demko and Gaudet are also uh RFAs, Demco being the more important one out of those two. Really, I think Vancouver wants to sign all four of those. Now, Vancouver has more bad contracts on the book than any other team in the league, I think, this year. And yeah, that's that really that's really shitty. That being said, a good number of them are coming off the books this year. Uh you have Pearson coming out at 3.75 million. Uh Sutter's contract is up at 4.375 million. Edler's contract is up with 6 million. Barchi's contract is up with 2.291 million. Uh and Spooner who's still getting paid about just under or just over a million dollars, sorry, on a buyout. His contract is off the books this after this season. Uh that Freeze up about 20.66 million in cap space with just those. Oh yeah. And also uh, Ben and Hamanick who uh, are also coming off the books, but I didn't really consider their contracts bloated. Uh, Ben is at about 2 million and Hamanick's at 1.25 million. So maybe Ben's making a little bit too much money, but I didn't really put that in the same category as bloated. Um, Still on the books for next year though. So for the next two years, Roussel, Erickson, and Beagle are, and Luongo actually are still all on the books. Uh, Roussel and Beagle both at 3 million, Erickson at 6 million, and Luongo at 3.035 million. I'm not really entirely sure how that whole contract thing works with Luongo now that he's retired. Um, It's yeah, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me why they're still paying that, but regardless, uh, they are, so. Um, but the big thing is, so like I said, they have just over uh, 20 million in cap space, and you know I kind of was wondering if they would have enough room to re-sign Pedersen and Hughes. But you know, with 20 million coming off the books this year, and it's actually probably a little bit more than that because I actually didn't include any of the entry-level contracts that would be coming off the books. Um, you know, you should be able to re-sign Pedersen and Hughes for sure. I think you'll be able to re-sign Go- or Demko. Sorry. Uh, but it's going to be tight, I think. Uh, but clearly, I think the problem for Vancouver right now is is that they're not good enough with the team they have. And so that's assuming they don't re-sign anyone or sign anyone new. Clearly, they need some kind of reinforcements. You know, on D, especially, I think, is their weakest link right now. Like, uh, Quinn Hughes is obviously their best defenseman. And I, I think Nate Schmidt's probably their second best defenseman. And, you know, it's a pretty steep drop-off from there. You know, like Myers isn't bad, but he's getting paid way too much money, in my opinion, and I think a lot of other people's opinion too. It's $6 million with a modified no-movement clause. And so, yeah, it's going to be tough for Vancouver this year especially. The good news is that after next season, they will be able to go after some uh, free agents potentially. You know, you'll have Erickson, Roussel, Beagle, and Luongo all coming off the books. So at that point, really, the big contract that you only... The only, like, bloated contract you have left is Tyler Myers, assuming they don't make any other big mistakes between now and then. But, you know, it is kind of a tough position for the Vancouver Canucks. They're really relying on the fact that their core is still young and this could still get better, and really hoping that, you know, uh, Pettersson and Hughes, Besser, and Horvat continue to improve. But it's uh, it's like they're not going to make the playoffs this year, I don't think, unless something miraculous happens. And then I don't think they'll make it next year either at this rate because, like I said, they have no room to improve. They have just enough room to re-sign Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko, I think, maybe it, And even then, you might have to still ship somebody out. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think it is going to be a painful next two years for the Vancouver Canucks. That being said, after that, I think it is going to be a lot of fun to be a Vancouver Canucks fan. You know, they have a lot of good prospects coming up, and they will have a lot more cap space to play with, so they will be able to bring in some reinforcements. Um, So if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan and you're listening to this, just hang in there. Uh, As a Calgary Flames fan, I know it can be hard sometimes. Continue to cheer for a team that sucks. But just keep counting down the days until Erickson's contract is up. Okay, so now that I've ranted a little bit about Vancouver and the Calgary Flames, uh, we'll do the Edmonton Oilers next. Um, so the trade deadline is about a month away, a little over a month away. And so it's coming down to what is going to be the Edmonton Oilers' biggest need at the trade deadline if they even decide to bank a move. So there's a few things to consider right now. The biggest, The two biggest ones being that Edmonton is right up against the cap. So any kind of trade that's happening is going to have to be you know, a money-for-money money deal. It's not going to just be send Edmonton's draft picks and get, you know, someone get a rental in return to go potentially go on a playoff run. The other thing to consider is, and I think we've seen it a lot with why teams, especially in Canada, are hesitant to make trades right now, is the border. You know, I think it, for Dubois, what did it take? Two or three weeks? Two and a half weeks? Something like that for him to finally join the Jets and then he got injured like a week later. You know, it definitely makes teams a little bit nervous about, uh, about having to... You know, make any trades right now, and of course, I can't see any Canadian teams making trades with each other this season. You know, within their own division, so it is kind of a tougher spot to be in, and so it. I kind of expect that this is probably pretty close, if not the exactly what the Oilers' uh, roster is going to look like post trade deadline is what it looks like now. But you know, hypothetically, let's say they are able to make a trade, and then. You know, what 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 do they need most? Do they need a you know actual starting goalie? Do they need a defenseman? Or do they need another top six or top nine forward? Now I think uh so they claimed Stalock off waivers a few weeks ago, and he's still injured, I think, but that was I think a good move by the Edmonton Oilers. You know, I don't think he's necessarily the the grand solution, but you know, he's on a bare minimum league deal and he, I mean, he was the starter for good enough to be the starter for Minnesota Wild in the playoffs last year, even though they didn't go very far. Um, but definitely low risk, low reward. Probably not the end all solution, but you know, it's it's a band aid to a bigger problem. But for this type of season, in this type of situation, maybe that is something you push back until the until the off season to deal with when you get some money off the bucks. Um, on defense, you know. I think the Edmonton Oilers would love to add a defenseman. And it looks like there's actually quite a few available this year. Uh Matthias Elcombe, David Savard. I think the most interesting one, which I haven't heard a lot about rumors about him lately, but I was reading lots in the summer about Matt Dumba. And actually the rumor was actually one of the popular destinations was actually a little bit South of Edmonton in Calgary. Um but could Minnesota and Edmonton make a trade? Now, if they were gonna make a trade, there's only one way I see Minnesota doing that, and that would be for Nugent Hopkins. And so the interesting one about that is, is, as far as I know, is that you know talks have kind of stalled, or I don't even know if they really even started between the Oilers and Hopkins. You know he's getting paid six million. Matt Dumbas is also signed at six million. Uh, Matt Dumbas' contract runs for a few more years than Hopkins. Hopkins is up at the end of this year. And so, it is an interesting question of, like, maybe the Oilers do try and get, you know, maybe they open that door for Minnesota to negotiate a contract with Hopkins before dealing him to Minnesota or something like that. And then, because Minnesota desperately needs a centerman, and Matt Dumbo would, in my opinion, instantly become the best defenseman on the Oilers' uh, blue line. You know, like, Nurse has had his moments this year. Uh, but, you know, he. I think he's been kind of inconsistent. He'll be really good one game and not so great the next. So if you can get Matt Dumba for Hopkins, I'm not saying that the Oilers will do it or even that they should do it, but I do think it's an option that's worth exploring, especially if you're having trouble negotiating a contract with him. Uh, so the other thing is, is it a top six or a top nine forward that they were thinking about too? Um, I was reading on TSN that the Oilers might be eyeing Mark Stahl. And that's what I was kinda of wondering of if they do get or sorry, not Mark Stahl, Eric Stahl, um, from Buffalo, if they were to get Eric Stahl, like would they be more likely to trade Hopkins at that point? Or even or would they just have a nuclear first line, like already dry and McDavid on one line would be nuclear. Um, but would they put Hopkins up there with him and then have Stahl on your second line? Like that would be an insanely deadly first line. I don't really see them doing that. But I could see if they got Eric Stahl that maybe that opens the door for them to potentially trade for a player like Matt Dumba or somebody else. Um, you know, the Oilers, they're kind of in a tough spot, like I said, cap-wise, regardless of the border. You know, they've got a few bigger contracts. Like, the Neal contract is killing them still. Uh, Chason's contract, which is up at the end of this year, it's not terrible, but it's still $2.15 million uh darnell nurse's contract's a little bit bloated the other defenseman i was kind of curious about i haven't heard much about talks between them and adam larson and i don't really know you know if he wants to say edmonton or if he wants to leave i haven't heard anything either or seen anything that suggests that he wants to go either way but you know especially if adam larson's leaving in the summer i think that Hopkins for dumba trade does maybe make a lot of sense uh you know and like i said if you can open the door for the minnesota wild to negotiate a contract between hopkins and the wild so that they can get him signed before a trade happens i think that's not the worst idea in the world but you know i think trading like trading hopkins is definitely a tough pill to swallow for the oilers uh fan base you know he's he's been a staple of the team for a long long time his first overall pick in 2011 but you know you got to trade good to get good in this league it's not like playing ea sports nhl 20 and you just trade all your second-round picks for Nathan McKinnon. It's just not how it works. So, uh, you know, and I just want to say, like, too, I'm not saying that they should trade Hopkins. Like, it's not – my position is not that they should trade Hopkins. I'm saying that it's an option that I think is worth looking into because when you have a nuclear option, like Dreisaitl and McDavid, you know, as your top two centermen are on the same line or whatever, you can afford a little bit more to have a big gap. Or a bigger gap on your top six, if it means filling a a pretty big role in your in your on your blue line that you desperately need, in my opinion, you know the 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 games that they've been winning eight five and six five or losing six five to Winnipeg, whatever it is, you know, clearly to me that says like defense needs improving, goaltending needs improving, goaltending's a little harder to improve right now, and may might and like I said, you put a little bit of a band aid on it with uh stay lock there. And so, yeah, I think it is worth looking into because it would be a dollar for dollar amount at this point. And, you know, you have to sacrifice a little to get something good, like I said. But, uh, but yeah, so that's all I had to talk about this week. You know, that was about Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary. Um, But, yeah, thanks for tuning in and hopefully see you guys here next week. Hopefully you guys have a good and safe weekend. And yeah, see you guys next Friday. Bye.